Welcome to the Internet Computer Weekly Podcast. Each week we will dive deep on topical projects and subjects in the internet computer ecosystem. I accidentally introduced this episode as the third web and referred to the internet computer as Definity throughout. Mea culpa, old habits die hard. Today on the third web, we have Nadim Kavasi of the Capsule Project, which is a decentralized social media project building on Definity. Thanks for joining me, Nadim. Thank you very much for having me. To begin with, like, what got you interested in Definity? Just as a, I guess, as a project, right? Like, it's a pretty obscure blockchain platform in, in the scheme of things. So we're looking at building a decentralized platform for social media communications. And largely, we've actually kind of shifted towards something like a substack, like a decentralized substack-like thing, but I'll get into that, into that later. And the reason why Definity was interesting was largely because it looked like a technology that would allow us to solve a certain set of problems that we would have with decentralized tech, namely the authentication of posts with regards to who wrote them, you know, having like a decentralized sort of authority on the cryptographic ownership of posts as they appear on the mesh. And also just a ordering problem, like the standard ordering problem, timestamping posts, you know, like uh, having a decentralized authority that lets us know when a post was written, whether a post preceded another post and so on. And so these seem like simple problems, but when you're dealing with a decentralized infrastructure, these become difficult to solve. And Definity is interesting because it appears to give a structure for you to like basically like build your own little chain to help you uh, solve problems that are specific to your like use case. So you're building a use case specific chain. This is what I see that's interesting in Definity. We would like to use it for more things. Maybe, for example, the actual hosting of the content uh, that people end up creating on on our platform. But it's also not as mature as other projects that have existed for longer. This is not to speak ill of Definity. I don't think it's it's. I think it's perfectly fine given the very young age of the project. But there are some other technologies out there that have existed for longer, and so we're relying on things uh, like IPFS, for example, for other parts of our infrastructure. Okay, that's a design pattern that I think is repeated elsewhere as well. So it's not too surprising to hear you talk about using um, IPFS or you know Filecoin would be the incentivized alternative that um, Protocol Labs has put together as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're in terms of incentivization here. Um, Filecoin is definitely something that would go in line with what we're hoping to do because we like when you're hosting stuff, like like we we what we're hoping to do is to host content in a way that makes takedowns harder. And one way to make takedowns harder is to incentivize people to host things more. And so Filecoin is uh, something that is very interesting for us. But at the same time, we are investigating uh, tokenizing things in our own way. And there's a bunch of important reasons for that, namely that we want to build a tokenization mechanism that is specifically geared towards takedown resistance. And so Filecoin accomplishes that very well. But we also want to include other things like, for example, how do we deal with rewarding um, people who take on the role of uh, content moderators? So we're, we're going to have to deal with the issue of moderation at some point. And we're looking at decentralized moderation and also like a democratic sort of format for moderation. 
we're still fleshing out those ideas, but it would be interesting, for example, if you could basically uh, earn your legitimacy as a moderator and be rewarded as a moderator by people allocating that responsibility onto you. And that would be, I think, a, basically the opposite of the approach that companies like Twitter have towards moderation. So we're looking at those ideas. And as a consequence, we're looking to develop a tokenization mechanism that is more specific uh, and more uh, broadly encompassing for us than something like Filecoin would provide. Are there prepackaged uh, token solutions on Definity uh, as it stands? You know, I'm thinking of the ERC20 standard that exists on Ethereum. I feel like that is one of the most fundamental infrastructure pieces that Definity is going to need. Uh, I don't know. There could be. I, I personally, I'm not an expert on Definity. I just, I, I'm trying to use it. There could be a bunch of standards out there that I'm not aware of. Okay, cool. I was, yeah, I'm just wondering. <laughs> um, you mentioned that uh, that Capsule was similar to Substack. Can you kind of unpack that statement a little bit? Okay. When we first started working on Capsule, by the way, uh, it's not going to be called Capsule because we got a uh, trademark challenge and there actually, it appears that the uh, challenge is valid. So the, the company is still, still going to be called Capsule, but we're actually going to launch the product under a different name. But no, let, let, let's call it let's call it Capsule, Capsule for now. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we first started working on it, it, we were actually able to build a reasonable prototype in a very fast amount of time. So what I promised my like early pre-seed funders was like, give me some money for this. I can build a prototype within a month or so, and I did, and it works. But there's a couple of issues with it when it comes to dealing with stuff in a way that survives in the long term. The first is that we built it on top of Gun, which is another like IPFS-like thing. It's not really like IPFS. It's a decentralized database. So Gun is excellent. Gun is there's nothing wrong with Gun. I encourage people to use Gun. Uh, however, the Gun code base is currently written in JavaScript, and there's a planned rewrite into Rust. But the JavaScript it's it's perfectly. It's perfectly um, possible to write good JavaScript code, but the JavaScript code that Gun is written in is like very shaky. And I think the the Gun developers agree with me on this. I don't think I'm saying anything that they disagree with, and they they know about the problem. They want to rewrite it in Rust, but you know the project is currently in a state where we can't build on top of it. And so in discussions with the Gun developers, they were like, "Why don't you rewrite it and go?" I was like, "Okay, sure, but maybe I should just use something else for now." So this is why we ended up switching to IPFS. But to to come closer. I'm still answering your question about Substack, by the way. This is part of the answer. So on the technical side, there was this change. But on then on the content side, you know, when we first started off, we wanted to do something like Twitter because the whole project was inspired by uh, Twitter being unequal in the way that it applied moderation. So some things that should be moderated got moderated and some things that should be moderated didn't get moderated. And some things that shouldn't be moderated got moderated. So like it, it seemed like basically we were allocating our freedom of expression or our ability to express ourselves to like a bunch of people in, in a room somewhere working in a, at, a, at a software engineering company, which is which is bizarre. And as a result, the immediate sort of instinct there was to say, okay, we are going to make a decentralized Twitter. Yeah. So the, the argument, one of the arguments was that yeah, that already exists in this in the form of Mastodon. And yes, Mastodon is a fantastic project. Please use Mastodon. Uh, what we were trying to do, however, is come up with something that's easier to use and more decentralized than Mastodon. Currently, Mastodon has this thing where it's basically um, you set up a server and then a whole bunch of people use it. And most of Mastodon ends up being allocated on a on a couple of servers, right? Uh, well, not a couple, but, you know, like a two dozen servers allocate, uh, I think, 80% of Mastodon users. I, this is a rough estimate, but I am 
I'm pretty sure this is close to reality. We're looking at something where it's, where it's one-to-one and uh, IPFS helps us achieve that in a very decentralized fashion. But then there was another question, which is, uh, and this is like a very important thing for me, um, do I really want to get stuck with people's tweets? Because if if I built this and it's and it's very decentralized and it's legitimately like I can, I can show you like a proof like here here's the math proof of how decentralized it is, and I can't control the content and so on. This is not going to mean anything for companies like Apple, for example, that are going to say, um, you know, we don't care that it's decentralized. People are still accessing it through your app, through your platform. That. We don't care if you control or not. So we're going to take your app off the app store if, if, if we find that it has some like objectionable content in the style of Parler, for example. Uh, so in that sense, already we have some problems. We, we can run into those problems in the Substack like format that we're, that we're gearing against. But at the same time, there's another issue, which is that technically I'm not going to be liable. We can agree as, as technologists that you know this argument is nonsense, but it's just it's not going to convince those people who... Don't, don't care about the argument, don't understand the argument, just see, oh, this is the company that's providing the tech, therefore it is liable for, for nonsense tweets. And frankly, the, the, the other realization there was that I do not have much respect for tweets. You know, like I think tweets are a waste of time. I think, I think Twitter in general sucks as a, as a way to communicate. Uh, I am an active Twitter user. I tweet at least once a day. But I kind of do it regretfully, and I, and I try to move my tweets away from like being toxic into like something that's just focused on work and stuff like that. But there's a lot of stuff on Twitter that makes you angry, and then just like the way that people communicate there is is very juvenile. And so, you know, I got this funding and I got this support, and I was able to build a team. And for me, uh, I just decided that I do not want to enable more of that style of communication. Not that it's not important, not that it's not valuable. It's just not something that I want in my life and I don't want to be tied to it. So as a result, what do I care about? I care about freedom of expression a lot. I've been caring about this for a very long time, for a decade now, and I I have a history of being active in online freedom of expression issues in a very deep sense. But the freedom of expression that I care about is not so much people shitposting on Twitter, and rather it is more in the vein of people writing things that are meaningful and that shouldn't be taken down. And that is more of a long-form format. So basically, with what we're trying to build, I would say that if you're going to be like some kind of toxic person or, or so write something that's that's counterproductive or wrong or just, you know, like uh, dangerous, which which is going to happen anyway, like as far as far as I appreciate free speech, there will be people who go on these platforms and just instigate violence or something. You know, at least put some effort into it. You know, <laughs> at least sit down. You know, put an effort into being stupid. You know, like just, you know, at least like focus on being stupid for a little while. And it's, 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 there should be like a barrier to entry to being a, a moron on the internet. And I feel like I'm trying to accomplish that by sticking to something that is more long form. So does that mean that we're going to not have any shit posts anymore? Of course not. People can just, you know, instead of writing a short form post on how much they hate a certain type of people, for example, they'll just, they'll just write a manifesto on how much they, they want to kill babies or something. But my bet, and I'm not even sure this is true, I am betting that it might be true. And I had this conversation with the Twitter Blue Sky team recently where they, they seem to disagree. They seem to think it's it's more important to enable people and to like stick to the short form format. And I think that's very honorable, by the way. You know, I think that's that's super honorable. 
to enable people to communicate easily. And I think that's a very important thing. But it's more of a question of how I want to direct this effort and how do I want to direct the effort of my team and the investors as well. And I think that in that sense, I would rather focus on something that is long form, you know, like something that where there's more room for nuance, there is more room for people to say something meaningful. And also there is less room for something to be misinterpreted, to be taken out of context, which is a huge problem. And uh, hopefully, maybe we'll just end up with a thousand word posts that, and all of them are incredibly bad. But so for example, you, you look at Clubhouse, right? So Clubhouse started off with a bunch of cool people on Clubhouse. You had Elon on Clubhouse. You had really nice people on Clubhouse. And then more people came on. And as more people came on, there was unfortunately some, not a large degradation in, in quality, but some degradation in quality. And that's kind of pessimistic because Clubhouse is supposed to be actual discourse, actual discourse, like people talking to each other using their voice, which, which is supposed to be the number one way to eliminate misunderstandings, aggression, and so on. And even then, there does seem to be a, some reduction in quality. It's not a big one, and it's definitely like still way above what you see on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and other stuff like that. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to get a large number of people. Same as Substack. You know, Substack has had a lot of success there. I, I, I don't see anything on Substack. I, I have never seen a single post on Substack where it was just like the sort of nonsense, crazy writing that people do on Facebook and Twitter, right? Like you can have people like polemic journalists like Glenn Greenwald, for example, who I'm subscribed to on Substack and who I really like to read, he's very polemic and he's very contentious and, and controversial sometimes. And he's very aggressive in the way that he takes positions. But that's fine that people understand him for what he is. And, 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 and he, he engages in that intellectual role in a way that I feel is honest and comprehensive. And so there's nothing wrong with it, right? He's not engaging in, in moral indecency or anything like that. And so we do want more of these firebrand writers and thinkers and intellectuals and writers to have a place where they can talk. And I'm hoping that a long form format will accomplish that while eliminating people who are like, I don't know, Pepe the Frog, LOL. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Have you used Secure Scuttlebutt at all? Yes, I have actually used it. And I've also had a research intern do their uh, thesis on it a couple of years ago. So I'm familiar with it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm not much of a social media person, so a lot of the stuff doesn't have so much. A lot of these platforms don't have specific relevance to me as far as like how I use them. I find them more interesting in seeing how communities develop and people interact on them. And it's interesting mm -hmm. you say that you feel the long-form format might have the effect of improving the discourse on whatever the platform that eventually... Honestly, honestly it might be the most important thing. You know, like, I, I think that this actually might be the most important innovation, quote unquote, if it is even one that we can bring on the table, because the other stuff is hard, technically, but it's done. As you mentioned, you know, like Scuttlebutt is a standard that we could use. It is a protocol that we could use if we want to. And it's a reasonable protocol. PeerGoss, for example, is another one, which I think is even better than Scuttlebutt. And it's really great. PeerGoss is, 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 is a great technology developed on top of IPFS as well with some excellent extensions specifically for use cases regarding files and social media stuff. And so the technology is there. And Substack, I think, has gone a long way in sort of addressing the issue of discourse. So my bet is, can we combine these two things and, and get somewhere farther 
when it comes to being resistant to takedowns. And because even, even Substack has been pressuring writers recently, I think they got into some kind of spat with Jesse Single, another polemic. Uh, is he even polemic? He's just like this outspoken journalist. And they were stuck like, I think they offered to pay one of his critics or something, something ridiculous like that, where they were like backing down because some people decided to uh, smear Jesse Single on Twitter. And so we do want to avoid that. And I think it would be really fantastic for us to be, first of all, I think we need to be more social than Substack. I think Substack is not social enough. So we need to be like maybe 90% Substack, 10% Twitter in the way that we deal with feeds and with social media presence and stuff. There is still some value in having a feed and having like reposts and shares, which is something that's not possible currently on Substack as much as I would like it to be. And at the same time, you know, we do want people to like, wouldn't it just be great if, if just we could, people could like post things and say what they want and it'll have to be long form. So it's hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, not incredibly uh, counterproductive and immoral. And then you wouldn't have people like, you know, petitioning us to cancel people off of our platform. And we'll literally be able, we literally can't do it. And this is this is exactly like this literally we can't do it thing. This is exactly why end-to-end encryption succeeded. This is why Signal took off. This is why Signal was, later on, the Signal protocol was implemented into WhatsApp. Because the argument there was that even like even if you go right now and stick a gun to, hopefully you don't do that. Moxie, Moxie <laughs> is a very, very, very distinguished uh, and, and, and honorable person. But, you know, if, if you go to the Signal team and like threaten them with something, Literally, no matter what you do, they are simply mathematically unable to decrypt conversations, right? And and say the Signal blog frequently posts, I think they posted a new request that they got from the American government in terms of like a subpoena or some request for user data. And every time they say the same thing, the only thing that we have on our servers is the time that a user signed up, the date of, of, of user of account creation and the date where the user last logged in. And we are mathematically unable to give you any content. We do not store any metadata. They use Intel SGX to um, do some like uh, secure computation stuff that reduces the amount of metadata that they store on their servers. And so we do we do want to basically go that way, where we can say the same way that Signal can say literally we cannot allow law enforcement to violate the privacy of our, of our users. We can say to the mob, which I think is way more dangerous than law enforcement, literally we cannot allow you to smear people and silence people because you they don't fit your political agenda. This literally we cannot thing is is something that is that has succeeded very well for end-to-end encryption. And I think it might succeed as well for the platform that we have in mind. So you're not building something with any intention of maybe it does have the intention of direct competition with big tech, but really it exists as a alternative. I mean is there a world in which you can symmetrically compete with, say, Twitter or Facebook with a decentralized platform as you describe it? So this is a very like sort of personal answer, but I really am not that type. So I don't really like competition. It's very uninteresting to me. I do not have any interest in in being like very successful or like having a lot of users or being like very wealthy. These things just make my life worse. I would much rather not have that in my life. So and as far as the company goes, I've made that distinction as well in another interview where I said that I think that what we're building at Capsule is going to be something that is similar to, for example, the uh, vegetarian option vis-a-vis something like McDonald's, right? So McDonald's is great. I actually had McDonald's for lunch yesterday. I have nothing against McDonald's. But <laughs> some people want something healthier for themselves. 
And so they might get some organic food or cook their own food. I also cook at home a lot, way more than I eat. Eating McDonald's is rare for me, but so I cook a lot more. And the reason why I do that is because I get to choose my own ingredients and I get fresh vegetables and so on. And ultimately, I also, you know, exercise a new skill and I'm able to produce new stuff. And, and they, you know, when you're cooking, you're learning. You're learning how to deal with different types of ingredients and also you're learning new recipes and you're learning new sort of like instincts uh, and muscle memory and so on. And you're also thinking while you cook and you're sort of like a meditative experience. So it's, I think, just it's not just healthier on your digestive system. It's also healthier on you as an individual. And so basically, I see what we're building at Capsule to be similar to that. And I see Facebook and Twitter being something like McDonald's, right? And is the sort of like organic or whatever, like health, health market scaling as much as McDonald's? I don't think so. But at the same time, is that really the point? You know, so I, I think that we've been lucky because we've been able to get a bunch of investors and we've been able to get a team that understands that. And do we really like, what's the point? What is even the goal? Like, why, why would it be better for us? to say or aim to compete with those big companies? Like how, how would that benefit our mission? How would that benefit us as a team, as, as a company? I guess the only person that would benefit is some like exceptionally greedy investor, but why would they invest in us? You know, like there's actually like, there's <laughs> yeah. actually, no, hold on. Like, I, I don't mean it like, why would anyone give us money? No, 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 I know. yeah. Why like, would you not go for a growth, for a, but yeah, you know, like why traditional would you not go growth for company. whatever Apple stock, you know, <laughs> something like that. You know, so there is a certain level of commitment, you know, in investing or a certain level of understanding, I guess, because you're not investing in us because you're hoping for a quick return. Although we do have a business plan, we do have monetization, we do plan to make money for our shareholders as well as for ourselves. We you know it's not like we're we're not doing anything pro bono here. We do have a business plan. We do plan to survive with comfortable salaries. I'm not saying that otherwise. You know, We do want very nice salaries, but we don't want anything more than that is what I'm saying. And the, and the reason for that is we're not doing it for that. You know, I, I had a very good job before this. I could go back to it. But the important thing here is that we're doing this for a purpose. So I think that a lot of the people that we have on board basically identify as very secular, uh, put a strong emphasis on that term, liberal-minded, democracy-minded people. And I personally very much identify as that because of... Uh, so I'm originally from Lebanon. Not a lot of people know this. So Lebanon is the only country in the whole world that functions upon a political system known as confessionalism. And this is just the worst political system. So Lebanon is an extremely diverse religiously country. We have like 27 religions. It's the most religiously diverse country in the world. And it makes sense, right? Because it's right next to where Jesus was born, which is in uh, Palestine and Israel, right? So that region, it's like, you know, it's the region where Judaism thrived, where, where Islam eventually thrived, where Christianity eventually thrived, and a lot of other religions like, like Druze and other stuff you've probably never heard of. And so as a result, unfortunately, we had a civil war and so on. And after that, the French mandate, we got conquered by the French, and they decided that Lebanon would have a political system where it is a democracy, but the president can only be Christian, and the prime minister can only be Sunni Muslim, and the speaker of parliament can only be Shiite Muslim, and and the constitution of the parliament can only be blah, 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 like 50% uh, this and 30% Druze, and, what, and these aren't the actual numbers, but you know what I mean. And this has led to an incredibly divided, incredibly sick and destroyed and, and terrible society. And any Lebanese person you speak with will agree, will agree with you on this, especially if they've immigrated. 
Because if they immigrated, it is exactly precisely because of this reason. Identity politics in Lebanon is the rule. And it's actually very cool because I feel like I basically left Lebanon with a vaccine against identity politics that most people in the West do not have. And I understand the importance of, of secular institutions very much because I literally my, my entire childhood and early teenage years was basically a masterclass in what happens if you don't have that. Especially when I first immigrated, I understood what it was like to have that, and it was a real shocker. And I think that when we, when when someone like me, and I, I dare say also some of my investors and, and teammates, although I don't I don't wish to speak for them, especially not my teammates, I feel like when we look at what's currently happening in discourse in in some countries that we live in, such I lived in Canada for a while, for five six years. I have lived in France also for five years now, almost six. And when we look at what's happening here, maybe not much so much in France, but maybe a lot in, in North America and some other European countries, there is some erosion in the secular sort of like nature of discourse. And things are more pivoting towards the kind of discourse that I saw in Lebanon growing up, where as a Christian, my belief, I'm speaking as a Muslim, you know, and, and people like identify as part of a group and not so much as themselves. Anything they say is related to who they are as a group. They can only express certain positions if they're part of that group. Secular discourse itself is, is not allowed. People are judged based on, you're part of that Christian family. During the Civil War, they bombed a mosque. Therefore, you know, you're, you're not allowed here. Stuff like, because your, your grandfather did that or something. All of this stuff that you're seeing in the West right now is stuff that is old news to me, very old news. The stuff that I grew up seeing that I left my country because of. And so you can imagine just my horror at basically like, ah, finally, I'm in this secular place where, where things are great. And now, you know, I open my browser and this, this, this old shit is back again. And so as a consequence, I really feel like I have to do something about it. And so I would say that this is, this is the idea that we have in mind. It's a, it's, it's a mission. It's a mission. I, I wouldn't say a political mission. I would say it's a secular mission. Well, maybe, maybe unfortunately, it, it is a political mission against my wishes. But this is all to answer to your question, you know, like um, your original question, which is regarding our, our, our ability, our interest in, in being and competing with, with big tech. Like, I hope Twitter thrives forever. I hope Facebook thrives forever. We are not interested in taking their users. And I, I, I don't think we will. I don't think we want to. We're interested in saying, hey, would you like a place where you can talk about your feelings and thoughts? and People can't go smear you on Twitter. Like Jesse Single, I, I, I don't even know if there's a single epithet he hasn't been called yet. Glenn Greenwald, who is gay, has been called a homophobe. And people like <laughs> led this campaign against him. Like, oh my God, uh, th this homophobe is allowed to say homophobic things. Oh my, like he has a podcast with another person who I believe is also gay. What's another example? Like um, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is like the most soft-spoken, like head in the clouds, you know, like, kind of like teddy bear in, in my view on his show sure he's he's got a great credentials as a as, as a fighter and as, as a martial artist but he the way he talks to his guests is, is in my point in my point of view like incredibly respectful yeah yeah he, he, he says some stuff that is like a bit up in the air sometimes like he's made some comments regarding whatever covid or something i mean but it's it's mostly just it's basically the same kind of comments like my uncle makes you know like just whatever like he's talking stuff from the top of his head none of it is really malicious none of it is irresponsible i don't think and he gets like oh my god like the amount of vitriol against joe rogan of all people like one of the nicest most talented like interviewers that we have right now 
right? And it's it's just bizarre. J.K. Rowling basically got denounced as as the children's book author equivalent of Adolf Hitler because she because she uh, wrote some stuff regarding some opinions that she has on on gender, which which I think is something. You know, I, I think that we've really lost the ability to respectfully disagree with people. I don't think that someone like Rowling went out of her way to be offensive or encourage harm or whatever, like uh, as, as, as some of her critics have stated. I think that's all a load of bull. I think I think that what she did was express a conservative view on some uh, social issues. And I think that what, there was nothing wrong with the way that she expressed them. I think that it's so... And I, I also think that there's nothing wrong with very strongly disagreeing with, with those positions, right? You know, I don't necessarily fully agree with them myself. And another example is Richard Stallman, creator of GPL, the, the uh, free software license, which is the license under which the Linux kernel is released on another, the creator of GNU, a bunch of, like, he's basically a free software and open, free and open source software pioneer. And so Richard Stallman is a bit of, I, I think he's, he's somewhat old now. I think he's in his late 70s, maybe. I, don't, I hope I'm not mistaken about this. Let me just double check because I want to be... Okay, he's 68. So he's basically re retiring. And he's a very eccentric individual. And he, he does say a lot of politically incorrect things and sometimes tasteless and eccentric things in my personal view that I certainly don't agree with. But he, he basically says these things on his blog. And he, you know, like sometimes he said, like, I think he said something like, in my personal opinion, it should be okay for humans and animals to have personal intimate relations. And I, I, th I think that's completely insane, right? Like, I, I don't think anyone <laughs> should agree with this, you know, but I think that also, I, I don't understand why we cannot differentiate between someone having crazy personal opinions and someone being able to be like an advisor for, for a particular cause. And there are reasonable arguments on both sides here. And I, I want those, both of those types of arguments to happen on capsule, right? Like, for example, people could say that if someone has eccentric uh, or admittedly, like sometimes a bit repulsive opinions on certain topics, it might make certain uh, people not feel welcome in participating in a certain movement. And that's a very reasonable thing to say, right? And you could make that claim. Now, what happened was that there was this open letter against Stallman that I feel very much overstated their claims and tried to paint him as, as a transphobe, as some other things that he just simply is not. You know, he's not. He said on his website that he thinks that it's better for people to use grammatically correct pronouns instead of like like they refers to a plural or something. And that's just a technical comment. I don't think that makes that means that you necessarily hate an entire like hate, hate. Like that's a strong word. An entire group of people, right? In, instead of like people saying, you know, talking about do we is this person really like a, an effective leader for a movement, right? Which, by the way, I don't necessarily think he is now, given some things that he's said. Unfortunately, as much as I respect his legacy, and so you could say that, and you could like sort of argue about that, and then you could have people on the other side saying, well, you know, this these are his personal views. He's apologized for a lot of the things he said. Uh, you know, he does seem to suffer from autism spectrum disorder which can impact his ability to understand some of the impact that his comments may have. So this is a discussion I would have loved to see regarding an important figure in the free software movement, right? But instead, we get extremely overstated cases against and then extremely fanatical defenses for. And both are really uh, having a terrible impact on society. I, I think, think. There's, some, there's another side of this that's quite interesting. And you've illustrated it by through your examples, and that is the predominance of some niche 
subjects or like matters of discussion that seem to get people really heated. Trans rights is is one example. And I feel like the it would be great to just or like Donald Trump, for example, I'd really like to just filter out anything in the news that had anything to do with Donald Trump or the royal family or any of those subjects. So why, why, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think people get so riled up about Trump and the royal family and, and Richard Stallman? People just love to get worked up, right? And there are certain subjects that are battlegrounds that people know they can go to to find a fight and that by being designated one of those battlegrounds, the discourse dissolves into something that is so crass and and heated that any insight that could really be extracted from it is so hard to access that it becomes, you know, essentially a swamp. And and that's the tragedy of, say, you know, J.K. Rowling's foray into some of these more controversial subject matters because I feel like she had some, at least on the surface, quite moderate perspectives. They may have radical consequences, but it was impossible to really extract those in the pylon of angry Twitter police paladin types. So how do you how do you get past that? Like how do you allow people to have how do you turn a violent battleground where where anything you say gets you piled on by a bunch of people into into a reasonable battleground? Well, not, not a battleground at all. You know, like just a place where we talk normally about our opinions. Well, I think two things. One, I think you've already mentioned, just by having longer discourse, I think the Twitter team might have some kind of deep and well-intentioned reason for having these ultra-short message formats. But at the end of the day, they're encouraging people to make knee-jerk comments and incompletely express themselves And it feels to me like a a format that is geared more for outrage than it is for productive discussion, especially when it comes to anything with nuance. And I mean, I think that's that was one of the kind of ideas behind Secure Scuttlebutt was to have a, a safe place where you could a you know there was no um, limit on the length. That's actually I don't think that's correct, but. Maybe it is. Do you know if there's a limit on the length of? No, I don't no. think there is. No, no. Uh, it's a, so secure scuttlebutt is basically a framework for building apps. It's uh, so there are certain apps built on top of it, but those are not scuttlebutt itself. Those are just stuff on top of scuttlebutt. But you can build whatever you want on top of scuttlebutt, and can have any. It can have a two character limit or a two thousand character limit. Right. I'm just referring to the secure scuttlebutt social network that everyone mm-hmm. seems to be using. Yeah. Uh, but then um, the other thing is just categorizing content. And in the TechCrunch interview, you referred to you referred to user assigned categories, content preferences, and this to me feels like a really significant differentiation from an endless feed in which someone else determines what content you should actually see. And I think that's actually another reason for why some of these swamps form is because people get fed a bunch of controversial content that they wouldn't otherwise be interested in consuming and dragged into fights where they don't have anything at stake. Or, or Yeah, and what's sad is that it's been shown that it's in the interest of those companies for you to be dragged into a fight because it means that you'll 
look at your screen more and use their product more. You know, like whether whether it is or not to yell at other people, apparently doesn't matter, you know, so long as you're using the product. And so as a result, those algorithms which are meant to get your attention and 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 extend your usage of the product so that you also view more ads as a result of your increased engagement tend to show you things that are controversial because that 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 has that effect on 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 grabbing your attention it's the same it's the same technique as uh, that we've vilified some of the less responsible conservative news outlets for like for example fox news whenever there's a liberal president in the us will run headlines such as the war on christmas or july the 4th has been canceled and other things but twitter's doing the same thing facebook's doing the same thing but we do we don't like readily make that mental association because we see you know mark zuckerberg as this incredible genius uh, over uh, over at San Francisco, the most liberal place on earth. But it's basically the same tactic, just uh, grabbing people with fancy headlines, except the headlines, you don't even have to write them anymore because they're generated by your peers who are even more threatening because they're your peers. Yeah. So it's funny because when you're using Twitter, there is an option in the app for you to sort content chronologically. So instead of whatever secret sauce they have sorting your content for you, but that option will reset every time you open the Twitter app. And there is no way to set it permanently. And I don't know why. Twitter used to be chronological uh, many years ago, and it stopped being chronological. And in uh, Capsule, what we're trying to do is definitely... So we are going to have algorithms, of course, because we do want people to have the ability to view content according to how they want. But that's the keyword, according to how they want. So we're not going to have any opaque algorithms. Like the algorithms that we have are going to be basically very understandable. Like view posts by number of likes or view posts by number of shares or by number of views or by last written date or by category. So all of the algorithms that we have for sorting through content are going to be objective algorithms where you can independently verify, you know, like I I am showing you things according to the number of likes that they have. And you can see that the number of likes is, you know, going downwards from 1000 to five, right? And so by following these types of algorithms, we're hoping to not have any control over how content is sorted and just give the tools to the users for themselves to sort the content according to what they think is best. So what is your business model then? So we're hoping to basically, so our business model is similar to something like Ghost or WordPress, where we offer a very nice open source, great product for free and you can use it for free. But if you pay us a fee, we can sort of like set it up for you. We can offer you a self-hosting service you can unlock premium features. So for example, Ghost lets you unlock like a newsletter feature and stuff like that. We could also like uh, let you unlock similar features or maybe like upload 4K video, uh, team account, stuff like that. So basically that business model has worked very well for Ghost and WordPress and I think it would work well for us. Okay. Well, with that said, how can people get involved? Are you going to have a release or a short term, a beta out in the short term? Absolutely. If you also want to get involved right now, you can just join our Discord. So if you go to our website, which is currently uh, capsule.social, there should be a link to the Discord somewhere. Oh, there's no obvious link to the Discord on the website. That is absolutely ridiculous. Okay, so by the time this podcast is out, I will have fixed this. So there is a there is a link to the Discord, but it's like buried in the posts. So I'm going to make sure the capsule.social website has a link to our Discord, a link to our Twitter account. And you can join us there. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining me, Nadim. Is there anything else we should cover just before we wrap this up? We're hiring. So if you are an engineer that has experience in decentralized technologies like IPFS, 
please come work for us. We offer competitive salaries and we basically are running a company where we won't like try to control or pressure you to 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 adopt your personality or political views according to what we think is, is better for society. And uh, we uh, are hoping to run a very smooth ship where all team members are respected and, and, and treated well and, and everyone has a fun, productive time working on good software. So if you're interested in being an engineer for us or any other thing that you think is useful, please come to our Discord and ping us and uh, hopefully we can uh, work together. Fantastic. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure and I'm looking forward to when the borders really open up and I can kind of get over to France and see what's what you guys are working on in person. Absolutely. Cheers. Take it easy, Nadim. That was Nadim Kabasi from Capsule. To learn more, visit capsule.social. The Internet Computer Weekly has a sister newsletter featuring news, project updates, interesting reading and other tidbits that come up over the course of the week. Together they are part of a larger effort at ecosystem building we are calling the Cycle DAO. Visit cycle underscore DAO dot XYZ, that's C-Y-C-L-E underscore D-A-O dot XYZ, to subscribe and learn more.